You know, America's not unique in its sins as a country. We're not unique in our evils, to be honest with you. Um, I think where we, where we may be singular is our fu a refusal to acknowledge them mm. and the legends and myths we tell about our inherent, you know, goodness uh, to hide and cover and conceal so that we can maintain a kind of willful ignorance that protects our innocence. See, the thing is that when we, the Tea Party was happening, we used people were we were saying pundits. Oh, it's just about economic populism. <laughs> it's not about race. When people knew, people knew, social scientists were already writing that what was driving the Tea Party were anxieties about economic demographic anxiety. shifts, that the country was changing, that they were seeing these racially ambiguous babies on, on Cheerios commercials, that the country wasn't quite feeling like it was a white nation anymore. And people were screaming from the top of their lungs, yo, this is not just simply economic populism. This is the ugly underbelly of the country. See, the thing is, is this, and I'll say this, and I'll take the hit on it. There are communities that have had to bear the brunt of America confronting, white Americans confronting the danger of their innocence. And it happens every generation. So somehow we have to kind of, oh my God, is this who we are? And just again, another, here's another generation of babies. Think about it, the two-year-old had his bro bones broken by two parents trying to shield him from being killed. A woman who has been married to this man for as long as I've been on the planet almost, lost her, lost her husband. For what? And so what we know is that the country has been playing politics for a long time on this hatred. We know this. So it's easy for us to place it all on Donald Trump's shoulders. It's easy for us to place Pittsburgh on his shoulders. It's easy for me to place Charlottesville on his shoulders. It's easy for us to place El Paso on his shoulders. This is us. And if we're gonna get past this, we can't blame it on him. He's a manifestation of the ugliness that's in us. I've had the privilege of growing up in a tradition that didn't believe in the myths and the legends because we had to bear the brunt of them. Either we're going to change, Nicole, or we're going to do this again and again, and babies are going to have to grow up without mothers and fathers, uncles and aunts, friends, while we're trying to convince white folk to finally leave behind a history that will maybe, maybe, or embrace a history that might set them free from being white. Finally. Finally. What else? Lord help us. That was the voice of Dr. Eddie Gloud. The wisdom and the passion that's there is shared by many of us um, who are kind of fed up with just where things are at. Um, just uh, across the landscape of what we call um, really Earth. <laughs> Um, this is your first time listening. My name is Daniel White Hodge. I uh, host a podcast called Profane Faith. I'm actually on technically break right now from season three, but uh, I could not sit back and not have a conversation around the events that are happening around our country in relation to uh, white terrorism and uh, white mass killings um, that are plaguing us. 
uh, and that are have that have continued to plague us. This is for the black us in the black community. This is nothing. This is nothing new. Black and Latinx community. This is nothing new. We have experienced this for generation after generation after generation. Um, so if this is your first time listening to Profane Faith, thank you. Um, this is not going to be a regular episode. Uh, I would suggest going back and listening to other episodes. If it's your first time listening, you can go to whitehodgepodcast.com or you can look it up just on iTunes, wherever you find your podcast and check out and see what the podcast is about. This one's really convened and, and, and curtailed for the listeners that have been uh, coming on for or really been around for a long time. Um, and just to have a conversation around what does it mean uh, to be black, to be Latinx, really be a person of color in this era uh, that we're living in, where we have a hyper sense and hyper engagement of white supremacy uh, stemming all the way down from the White House uh, into every aspect uh, from what it seems like um, around in our country, whether it be in Christian higher ed, whether it be in politics, whether it be in the school system. Um, and especially in policing and anything that the state sanctions as quote unquote a law. And so it did not surprise me that the mass killers uh, in these latest incidents uh, was white. Uh, it did not surprise me that they were racist and that they were ranting uh, about uh, ethnic minorities and that this country is changing. And much like Dr. Gloud was saying that, you know, these racially ambiguous commercials and that the country isn't just quite white anymore. It did not surprise me that these people owned guns and guns that uh, had a, 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 a you know, large capacity magazine. However, I will say this. Gun control is not the answer. Okay, that's number one. Number two, putting this off on anything but whiteness and white supremacy uh, is really not getting at the true heart of the issue. You can ban all the guns you want. That's not going to stop me getting pulled over for the color of my skin and being profiled. That's not going to stop people who look like me or maybe me getting killed by the police who fear for their lives. That's not going to stop any of that stuff. That's not going to stop folks who are already well-armed and hell-bent on killing people that look like me because, quote-unquote, we're taking over the country. Okay? So one, gun control gun control is not, it, that's not the solution. We And we have, number two, we have to address at the root of it is a worldview issue. A worldview that says this country has changed, it is becoming worse because of diversity, and many of us don't really want to recognize just how bad things are. And I think that's part of the colonization of Christianity, that it has placed a sheet over the eyes and ears of people. And all you can really say is, is I just want to be, you know, let's live in peace. So let's, you know, thoughts and prayers or I'll be praying for you because um, ain't none of that shit worked. OK, um, let's just be honest. Um, so let's talk about this. Let's have a broader conversations rather than having a binary conversation about if we ban gun laws now, how somehow we'll be safer as a result of that. Right. This, uh, that's not going to solve anything. So what I wanted to do was convene some voices around this, uh, particular, uh, conversation and, uh, 
Let's just get into it. Um, my first uh, guest is going to be in two parts. My first guest is Rashida Graham Washington. Many of you know her as a consultant, as a great thinker. Uh, maybe you know her as a business owner uh, here in Chicago of uh, Live Cafe. Uh, I convened this just it, literally within days. I just said, I got to do something. And I reached out to friends and Rashida was like, I got it. I'm coming on. I'm doing it. So this is the conversation her and I had in regards to mass killings, white terrorism, um, and what gun control looks like. Check it. Rashida Washington. Graham Washington. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me here at uh, White House Studios in the lab for... Uh, a very special edition of Profane Faith. I uh, thank you for taking the time. I know you are busy and moving and grooving, um, but this is such an important topic. I figured I needed to get a, an episode out, even though I'm not currently, quote unquote, in a season. Yeah, I, sure. I needed to get something out. So thank you and welcome. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. Um, so let's just hop right in. Um what were your thoughts when you started hearing about, well, there was Gilroy, we're talking about just the recent ones, and we can cover the broader perspective sure. of, of, <clears throat> of folks, but there was Gilroy, there, uh, there was the one in Ohio, and then there was one in El Paso. Yeah. Kind of all grouped together, all by white males who posted and said, this country's being taken over, blah, blah, blah. So, yes. what were your thoughts? <clears throat> so many thoughts. Um... I will be honest, uh, I was taken by um, how long it took. It seemed to take us to wake up to what was happening. Yeah. Um, I think that that lag time is an indicator okay. of the normalization of mass shootings that are rooted in white supremacy. Okay. Um, you know, anything can be normalized. Absolutely. And um, this is happening more and more frequently. Um to the extent that the news cycle doesn't even run as long. Uh, mm -hmm. I was checking on CNN just this morning in preparation for today. Okay. And they were saying, as we end our live coverage of this e experience or this event. Right. Um, here is where you can find um, the stories we've captured. Yeah. And today is Wednesday. And this happened this weekend. 31 lives lost. Mm. And it's Wednesday. And this is old news. Um, and so I really struggle with the normalization, the okay. standardization yeah. of mass shootings that are rooted in white supremacy and how, if we're not careful, we will accept it as mundane behavior. Yes. I. So, I mean, and OK, so this is a couple of things. Yeah. <laughs> this is um, so the new narrative that is arising now from the right is that these. Well, there's actually a couple of different strains. One is that we're a godless nation. Sure. So this is what we're as another one is, is 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 because we've allowed the gays or in their language, the homos. Yes. To invade this country that God is allowing this devastation to happen. And then uh, the third one, of course, is and this was the latest one by uh, Tucker Carlson, who said that there is no problem with white supremacy, that that is a um, that's fake news. Of course it is. Um, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm curious about what God has to say about so many things that were happening before there was any room in our environment or experience for an LGBTQIA outward community. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what did God have to say 
you know, about the uptick in unemployment and poverty. What does God have to say about mass incarceration um, and recidivism? These are what what did God have to say in the 80s when, when drugs were introduced into our our communities? Um, and why is God only speaking now? Um, and of course, you know, I'm being facetious because I love God. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. But I, I struggle with this God who only says things that white conservative right winged um, evangelicals say. Yes. That this God doesn't have anything to say about these other really poignant um, catastrophes right. in history. But anything that the right wing finds disdain in or with, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's when God has something to say. It kind of reminds me of that grandmother on Blackish. Yeah. Um, you know, when anything happens good in her life, God did it. And anything she doesn't like, black Jesus is supposed to fix it, you <laughs> right, know? Right, um, right, And it really does denigrate the power of God. Yeah. Um, and it humanizes God mm-hmm. and gives God negligence and fallibility that God simply doesn't have. Okay. Um, and so those are my challenges with, you know, if we didn't have the gays... Right. These things wouldn't be happening. Mm-hmm. The other thing is <clears throat> we and I'm not going to say we because it ain't we because I'm not doing this stuff. <laughs> um, but right wing conservatives tend to pin these uh, the, the blame or fault for these ex- these events, these catastrophes on traditionally, historically and intentionally marginalized people groups. When the people group manifesting these catastrophes mm-hmm. don't represent these people groups. Yeah. And so I'm, I don't see the correlation at all between who is actually committing these horrific situations mm-hmm. and the people groups who are being blamed for them. You know? Yes. Yes. And, and I, I think on, on, on two different levels, I know this was run by the... Um, uh, was it the Chicago Times or the, the I forget the name one of the newspapers sure. by, uh, by Chicago that said um, you know this was also a deadly weekend here in Chicago oh, yeah. uh, or this last weekend I should say that at the time that we're recording this and so I, because it's like there's one argument that says we need to control guns I have a thought on that but I'd be curious to hear what you have to say on that in terms of just like gun control in general because you know people use the argument that hey in other countries you know their gun violence is low and where was it that they had the mass shooting and another white supremacist in like two days the uh the president there she had passed a it new, was New Zealand New Zealand yes. right and they passed some law and they were like this it's ain't over go, it's over it's right done. right mm-hmm. we ain't going to- we ain't doing this no more right yeah we, we love right. our people too much right yeah right. yeah <laughs> And so here it seems like there is a toxic, vicious, nasty relationship between white evangelicalism specifically and like the NRA. Um, what, what are some of your thoughts on that? And what are some of the things that you actually run across as a black woman sure. in your travels and whatnot? Ah, well, I could tell you things about my travels. <laughs> um, I've seen some things in this country. It, 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 it was... Yeah, it it's mind blowing. Um, what I will say about the relationship between 
um, white evangelicals in the NRA is that it's not a relationship, it's a transaction. Okay. Um, and I'm careful not to denigrate relationship um, by falsely assigning it to things like what is going on between conservative white evangelicals and the NRA. Sure. You know, uh, it's a transaction. And we know that all transactions are rooted in currency. Okay. And all the right. two currencies that are at play there are money and power. Um, and the reality is that that's what this whole thing is about. That when we, and so you want to talk about what God is upset about. <laughs> Oh, you know, yeah, come on. if we talk about, oh, it wasn't until the gays showed up that all this stuff started happening. Well, this whole thing between white conservative right winged evangelicals and and the NRA is rooted in power and money. OK. And so it, it wasn't until power and money showed up, which, you know, happens to be all the time mm-hmm. um, that a lot of these things have started to happen that are catastrophic in our History and that goes all the way back to slavery. Come on, it is power and money that generally creates these transactions that lead to catastrophe. Um, <clears throat> there's big money and big business in guns, yes, oh, you know? absolutely. And we don't want to lose our money, and we don't want to lose our big business, and we don't want to lose our power. Um, and the, the relational tie, meaning I'm connected to this person, mm-hmm. that's only so that money and power can be transacted. It's not out of any real need for a relationship outside of money and power. When we stop loving power and money more than we love human beings of any kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we will come to a place where these things will stop. Like you said, in New Zealand, they took a stand for their people. They were like, we love people more than we love guns. So we're going to give up our guns so we can have our people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so that that that's what that transactional network is about. Um, and the dismantling of it is not really hard to do. But because we are not in this country practiced in relinquishing power or money for any other for any good. Yeah. You know, that's what's making it difficult. The, the actual dismantling would be very easy. We just stop doing it like they did in New Zealand, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The challenges, you know, <clears throat> the challenge is the same as the challenges we have when we talk about racism and equity in this country. When people say, how can I help? What I always say is they leave off the last part, which is in a way that's not going to cost me anything. Yeah. That's the part they don't say because you can offer up solutions for this gun problem, but people will have to give something. They're happy to do whatever you ask them. They'll march. We Mm -hmm. got marches tonight, tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Absolutely. Right. Um, They'll bring their kids to the march, which Mm -hmm. is an indicator of something. I would say that's the safest march ever. You bring your kids to the march. That's true. That's very true. Right. We're not relinquishing anything. We're not sacrificing anything. Um, we're not willing to be uncomfortable or even just to tweak our tradition. I can't give up my gun because my grandfather used to take me hunting. Well, we're not talking about hunting rifles. I, I don't believe any of these shootings happen with a hunting rifle. <laughs> a hundred round magazine. <laughs> right. And I can't give up my tradition of hunting so that 31 people could still be alive today. I think mm. we need to question our priorities when that's the country we live in. That's so deep. Uh, 
Oh man, this is again. This this there's so much. I, I the question I'm asking is, well, many questions. But one of the <laughs> questions I'm asking is, how does I'm looking at the video shots of you know the shooter in Walmart, and I'm wondering how did this guy with mm-hmm. all the cameras mm-hmm. and security and Walmart or whatever not see the guy get part get out the car with the the, the gun? Yeah, yeah. Walk in. And then after he kills everybody, he's taken away safely. Sure, sure. Um, well, I would say when you've normalized the presence of guns. Oh, Lord. When when people walk in and out of Walmart in El Paso, Texas on a random Tuesday with their guns showing, why do I need to be? Al- in fact, if I am to be healthy and whole and anxiety free, I'm going to have to condition myself yeah. as a shopper. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I guess, so you talk about my travels. So I've been to places where people can carry guns and have them be visible, right? Yeah. Um, they Unconcealed weapons, right? Yeah. Um, and so even as a person who's just in that city to do work for three days or whatever, I say to myself, okay, <clears throat> In order for me to exist here for three days, yeah, I'm going to have to get all right with seeing people walking around with guns. Well, guess what the danger is in that El Paso this past Saturday. That's a good point. That's it doesn't matter point. if that's it's on point. camera. You know, that's a that's our that's our um, Chicago schema talking. If we go to Walmart <laughs> and see somebody get out the car with a gun, we're gonna be like, um, "Hold on, sway. What's happening right. here?" Right. 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 But right. I believe that when you have when you make the visibility of weapons, when you normalize the mm-hmm. visibility of weapons, yeah. then people are literally disarmed at the sight of a gun. And That's then that means nobody's gonna be alert, you know, to oh, something's about to happen here. That's, right. That comes with the territory. Right. So and he knew that. He knew that he could get out the car with a gun and walk on into place and right. that that's the sacrifice we make for guns. Literally. I, yes. <laughs> that's a good point. No, that's a really good point. I mean, I I didn't think about it like that. I mean, because that's the truth. Because you're right. If I see somebody, and I think you and I were raised similar, in similar ways mm-hmm. that the narrative of America um, is not what's given in this kind of mythic, myopic, if I can, view of how great we are, yeah, right? Yeah. That this nation is the best in in the world mm-hmm. and that we fight for our freedom and that um, somehow, yes, these are a few bad apples, but no, this is good. So I, you and I have kind of, at least, I, I, again, I'll speak for myself. I would imagine collectively black that we've grown up thinking and knowing that mm, there's, there's, there's more to the story. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember being in single digits and even I didn't have the language for it always, but I didn't understand why all of the pro-America rally for your country language was rooted in violence. Fight for your country. There it is. You know, why? Why? Why, What are we fighting about? Why we need to fight about? And it was it was contrary to what I was learning in school where you're supposed to share and you know we right. tell our kids all right. the right things. We do. We do absolutely. And prepare them in no way for the actual reality of um being willing to fight for your country and mm-hmm. um you know the the euphemisms 
uh, that we use. Like, oh, if you're doing a great job, you're killing it. You're crushing it. You're smashing it. Oh, wow. Wow. Just all this kingdom expansive empirical language of ownership and snatching, you know. That's. And so the thing is. You know, I have really mixed feelings because, you know, I've been uh, watching social media and I've seen a lot of places where um, colleagues who I love and respect deeply are pissed about um, how these um, shooters are said to have mental illness. Oh, oh, yes. Right. Yes. Um, and, And I can understand. I even saw a post that's like, to people who are experiencing mental illness, I'm sorry that you're being aligned with these mass shooters. You're not them. We see you. We know you. We love you. Mm-hmm. That sounds good, but one, we don't. Can I just tell the truth about it? Come on. Come um, on. We get on social media and we make proclamations about people who are experiencing mental health issues in our country, which I believe is probably most of the mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. But where do we manifest this love, this seeing, this naming, this knowing? Um, Kanye West did an interview with David Letterman uh, a couple months ago where he talked about men suffering from mental illness yeah. and yeah. <clears throat> the profound way in which it impacts his life. We can't stand that, Kanye. We want Kanye, we want old college dropout Kanye back. <laughs> this dude is making us nuts, right? Like he, he we don't want to have yeah. nothing to do with this Kanye. Yeah. And so I think America often articulates and espouses its ideals. Um, but we don't always actually live into those things that we say. The other thing that I would say about that is I don't believe that you can go into a Walmart and shoot 22 people and come out and say, no, I'm good. Actually, I don't think I have any mental illness where I believe the disparity is, is that (laughs) we call out that mental illness when it's a white man. We don't call out those same thing. Where was the mental illness calling out about it, uh, responding to it, being proactive about it in the Laquan McDonald case? Right. Oh, yeah, exactly. we didn't. Yeah. We didn't want. We, you know. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> I would say, rather than looking at the ways in which people of color have been ignored as it pertains to their issues around mental health, and you know, we're criminalized right. when we have right. issues around mental health, but then when a white man does it, it's mental illness. Well, rather than to say, well, that's not mental illness either, maybe we should be saying. Perhaps it is. And now let's retroactively look at all these places where people of color who were exhibiting tendencies rooted in mental illness were criminalized. Mm. Right. I think we're going the wrong way by saying that's not what that is. I don't think a completely mental and emotionally healthy human being goes into Walmart and shoots 22 people. I think there's something going on there. But then let's add people of color to the group. Right. Right. Rather than saying, well, he can't have it either. No, he definitely got something going on. Right? Right. Let's look at these other cases where I believe there is disparity and inequity Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. how we assign that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And it's rooted in white supremacy. I agree with that. But we tend to say, well, if you haven't given it to this group of people, they don't get to have it either. Nope. Let's give it to them. But then we need to look retroactively in all the places where we've neglected to call that out. 
Ooh, all right. So this is so this is big. I mean, and I'm forgetting the tweet now. I know Dr. Shanika Walker Barnes mm-hmm. had, t- had tweeted. I mean, it heard that thing just blew up. It I was saw like, hers. Like three or four thousand yeah. people were retweeting and liking it. But that was just it, right? It's just like you know. As somebody who myself personally has suffered from depression and there's a history of that in my family and uh, suicidal tendencies and Mm -hmm. stuff, it is it's offensive for me to be lumped into a category that can then be thought of as, oh, are you dangerous? Yeah, maybe you're going to kill 22 people. Right. Right. (laughs) But but why do we have to see this is my challenge with it. Honestly, Dan, come on, come on. Can we get broad enough and wide enough in our thinking about Mm -hmm. mental health issues? To say, I experience a severe form of PMS called PMDD. It is a mental health issue. Okay. But does that mean that I'm going to go out and kill 22 people? Can we, can we just get kind of more holistic and right. organic right. And, and develop more of a continuum of how we see mental health issues? Yes. Instead of making, instead of when we say mental health issue, that is one category it, it almost sounds like there's there's one issue called mental health issue and mm-hmm. everybody who has it has the same thing. I think if we can broaden the way that we consider mental health issues mm-hmm. and see that the thing that we do a really good job of is finding ways to create distance between ourselves and something we abhor. Right. Mm. So Christina Cleveland wrote a book called Disunity in Christ. And she said, every time you make an in-group, you've also created an out-group. Right? Okay. So that very behavior that we're exhibiting by saying, oh, all the people with mental health issues who would never go and do this thing over here, Mm -hmm. please know that I see you, I name you, I know you. But if we're talking from a faith tradition, Mm -hmm. Jesus said, go get the one. Right? And so, yeah, it, it gets real funky real quick. Yeah. I don't want to go get the one either in my flesh. But the reality is right. we're creating right. an out group. And the second we do that, someone's going to be maligned. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, we know that we're creating the very conditions that creates that shooter. Ooh. Jesus. Ooh. We're creating the conditions that creates that shooter, the the Oof. the aloneness, the, the 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 unseenness, the misunderstoodness, the invisibility, um, the denigration of a human being is exactly what creates that. And so I am not one sitting here saying, oh. And that means that we should forgive the shooter and we should focus on getting that person better and forget the 22 lives that were lost. But I am saying that there is a system that is complicit in the creation of a person who shoots 22 people. And when are we going to get real about the systems that are intentionally designed with ingredients that lead to a recipe that creates this kind of human being? All right, this is this is this is big because I feel this is so this is how I feel. Like I feel like you can pass all the gun laws that you can think, right? You can go, mm-hmm. oh, we're not gonna allow hundred round magazines. Okay, oh, sure. we're not gonna allow thirty round. Oh, we're not gonna do this. But for me, it's just it's exactly what you just said. It's the bigger issue 
that is at hand. And Dr. Eddie Gloud it said this yeah. perfectly. You, you saw that clip. Of course, of course. Yes, or you heard that, mm-hmm. I guess. But, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. And I'm like, this. and this was just it. I remember when the Tea Party formed itself and I was like, this isn't about politics. This isn't about, mm-hmm. oh, Obama's destroying America. No, it's this is like, I'm afraid as a white person yeah. that my power is not going to be here anymore. Yeah. And that flame has been fanned by- I got to do something about that. Absolutely. Yeah. And Frontline did an amazing job of of connecting like from 2007 to the 2017 past the, the election, you know, with Trump and just how the right has created this narrative and really just scared the hell out of just everyday normal middle class working white folks who now think you hate because I'm white and like, you know, that's discrimination, too. And, you know, I have a right as well. And it's just like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I know this because I have a family member that is this that thinks this way. Mm-hmm. I need all my guns because British, they could come over anytime and take yeah. this country over. Yeah. My the welfare of, of our society is being taken over by people of color. This this country no longer is what I think it is. And so that combined with, of course, as we know, toxic white masculinity. Sure. The 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 understanding that, hey, I'll be martyred. Yeah. I know I'm not going to get shot. If I yeah. put down my gun, they'll take me. Yeah. Yeah. But I have on my white protective, uh, my protective combat gear. Right. Called white skin. Um, and, and that's the thing. Um, so so I, I'm a firm believer and I know this is probably not a popular opinion, but we mm-hmm. we we got to get white men conscious to how racism and misogyny is killing them mm-hmm. um because they don't think it is right right, right. And, as, and i i also believe that by and large human beings are fundamentally self-preserving yes right and so i could talk about whether or not that's right or wrong and whether or not we should be more selfless but that's not going to change the situation if we know that human beings are by and large self-preserving and we Talk to white men about how racism and inequity and injustice and white supremacy is not serving them well either. Yeah. I, they don't have to care about my life to change their behavior. Yeah. I'm done trying to get them to care about my life, Dan. That's not looking good. We got 400 years behind us that says they they're not going to care about my life. But I do believe that um, if we can get white... so. As black people and brown people, you know, you look at us, we're bleeding, right? Blood is all over the floor. Our guts is hanging out our side. We're crippled walking, right? Barely alive, struggling to stay alive. You can see it, right? Yeah. And if something doesn't change, we're going to die, right? But with a white man, the system is causing him to hemorrhage. Hmm. So he's bleeding, and internal bleeding will still lead to death. Here's the problem. Nobody sees it. Put your clothes mm. on every day. You go outside. You walk around. You feel horrible. Whew. Right? You, you're not fulfilled. Life is not valuable or given. You're asking yourself, is this it? Like, really? Is this it? My job is to take care of things and people and systems. My job is to preserve the system. It's the least I could do because it gives me everything. Hashtag privilege and entitlement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm dying, but nobody sees. So if we can get them to see how 
while white supremacy is also killing them, then they don't have to care about your life or my life to do something about it. They'll do something about it because it's hurting them. And at this point, I don't care. If that's your motive, do what you need to do. If On a good day, maybe down the line, you'll be like, and I can see how this was mm. negatively impacted people of color. Great. But right now, we need something to change. Right. And these systems, as you can see, that shooter wasn't like the one in Ohio particularly. He wasn't like, well, let me just segment out only the people of color here and kill them and be very particularly careful about not having this impact white lives. Mm-hmm. He shot his sister. Right. <laughs> you right. know? Fool's ch- right. Yeah. And so don't tell me that this nationalism and white supremacy is serving white people well. White people are also dying as a mm-hmm. result of this. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah, Tim Wise talked about that years back of how white supremacy has been, you know, eroding, you know, similar to, the, I love that you you said the hemorrhaging inside, but no one sees it. And like they, they've been dying, it's been killing them. Uh, but again, it's, it's softly, it's quietly. Um, so let me ask this then, as we think about, you know, people that, Oh, moving forward, obviously thoughts and prayers don't work. I right, mean, that's, right. that's we're we're beyond that. Again, and it doesn't require any sacrifice. My thoughts and prayers are with you. You write that on social media. It's like, okay, that's great. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So what then, how do we then, cause I feel like, and this is a genuine question. Sure. I feel like I spent the better part of my career trying to help young, particularly young white men get it whatever mm-hmm. it may mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. and as i've said on the show hundreds of times it was like 2016 was a rude wake-up call for me sure. and the work that i do yeah um that's not anybody else that's just me yep. um so i'm curious like and i know you do a lot of work and i'm 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 on the brink of just like man i don't i i, I don't have a lot of hope so i'm trying to figure out what does it look like outside of armed revolt yeah. <laughs> you sound like Daryl, my husband. He's like, look, at some point I'm going to get with them on this call to arms because it's getting rough out here. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it looks like um, it looks more tangential, mm-hmm. right? For a long time, I, I was like you. I was like, man, you know, I'm going to just go in here and... And they're going to care about my life because they're going to see me as a human being. And I'm going to tell my story. And that's going to compel white people, white conservative evangelicals. It's no way you could look at me in a life, a human being in front of you and not be changed. Right. And then I watched that happen over and over and over and over. Nobody changed. And you asked earlier about my travels. And I've been in places where I literally with my own eyes Mm -hmm. saw a a dummy figure of Obama hanging from a tree. I saw that with my face, right? Exactly. Not like, oh, yeah. I heard this somewhere. No, I was, and and <laughs> right. this wasn't, and this wasn't. I mean, in January, I was in Iowa, and I saw a sign that said, "Obama can go, and we'll still be here with our guns." And I'm like, that's cool. But do y'all know he ain't even the president no more? Right. In January 2019, right. he was no longer the president. Right. And so that 
that tells you that this is steeping, right? That this is not like, okay, this this president is gone. We hated that because we're racist. And now that's gone and Trump is here. And we're, no, they're still mad about yes. that. Yes. And so when we're piling racism on top of racism on top of racism, and then we have a president who stokes that fire. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I don't know that we stand a chance walking in a room, single bodied. I don't care if it's 500 white conservative right. evangelicals in there. My one body's going to change that schema that paradigm right i believe that we have to do more work within our own context um helping people understand the value of the resources they have yeah um and how to mobilize them in ways that are wise yeah um and you know um i was talking to a millennial about a year ago she met with me because she wanted to learn fundraising strategies okay and uh, I said, well, the, the strategy is this, spend less because literally you're buying your freedom to say what you want to say prophetically. No, no more of this. The structure of model is to rely on the conservative evangelical church right. to fund right. the truth being right. told. Exactly. They benefit from the truth not being told. Exactly. That's the relationship they have mm -hmm. or the network they've developed with the NRA. And so we have to become more um, self-reliant um, in terms of how we share information, in terms of how we yes. build business yes. and entrepreneurship yes. and how we um, practice what I call Robin Hood theory, where we partner in places that understand that our lives are important and valuable mm -hmm. and mobilize those resources and opportunities on our own behalf. But this idea of turning the mind of a right-wing conservative evangelical context, I'm not so sure that that is the best use of our time, at least right. at least not in a standalone kind right. of way. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I do believe wealth is part of it. I do believe, obviously, money is a part of it. I think, um, I'm forgetting the guy's name. He's a reverend. I just started following him on uh, Instagram, and he's always talking about... I guess, you know, I guess people were following him and this was like he's really started talking out about, um, you know, whiteness and white supremacy. Sure. And he's been talking about how, you know, he's been getting all these phone calls and people are trying to call like the boss. And he's just like, look, there's no one but there's no one white in charge here. Sure. Like this is I run it. Yeah. And so this yes. is this is it. So you're not going to get me fired. Yeah. I mean, three years ago, I couldn't have done this interview with you. I got, yes, I got you. Know, you. Yes. Three years ago, you might not have been able to do it with me. No, absolutely. You know absolutely. what I mean? Yes. And so I think we have to become more sagacious, more wise about mm -hmm. how we structure our lives. Yes. So that we can be the prophetic voice of the church. Mm -hmm. um, and so that we literally have enough resource. And I don't, and I don't mean now we become excessive in, in, retaliation to the excess of right. whiteness, but that we become um, self-reliant enough as a community yeah. to be able to mobilize on our own behalf. Like I, in my neighborhood right now, I'm watching developers come in and, and you know, they, they buy five buildings at a time. They can flip a, a block fast because they buy five properties. Well, if 10 families got together and did the same thing, yeah. We could be those developers, but I think we have to start really getting serious about what it looks like for us to partner well together on yes. our own behalf. Yeah. And then yeah. 
you know, the resource that comes from that is not about buying bigger houses for ourselves necessarily or taking bigger trips. But how do we then infuse that into the movement that, you know, kind of changes the power structure? Mm -hmm. And that's a long, hard, slow road, Dan. I'm not, you know, um, there's no magic beans that's going to change this situation right but i also believe that if we never start that journey yes we're guaranteed never to to get to where we want to be yes yes absolutely um yeah And, and i think for me i mean it's as I've looked at that, as I've thought about, you know, solutions and whatnot, I think, yes. And, and this is one of the reasons why I just I don't watch like a lot of the Democratic or even the, the Republican, for that matter, the, the, the presidential debates, because sure. I don't think you can put up an issue like this that we're talking about out. And then you have 70 seconds or 90 seconds oh, to and respond. La- the last one, they have 15 seconds to respond. See, That's ridiculous. It, right. Yeah. And all of them, for the most part, you know, either go over or somebody's telling them time, time, time. Um, and, and some of them are like excited to only have 15 seconds because they don't have a response anyway. Right, exactly. Um, or they use the 15 seconds. I, I can derail for 15, you know, um, I could divert for 15 seconds easily. And then I never have to answer the question at all. And then it, it, it turns into this... Um, skittish playground banter that at the end of it i don't feel like i know anything more in terms of making a informed decision about who to vote for these debates are not helping me know that yeah you know yeah well how then then i know our time is nice so this is i mean this again this you know we going on this how has it been uh, being a speaker, being a, a a mentor, a boss woman, a, mm-hmm. uh, a um, what do you call it? The, 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 the not a de- I wasn't going to say developer, but a, a consultant. Mm-hmm. I mean, what has that been like mm. for you? You know, in this particular era that we find ourselves in. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting. I will say, very recently, I was with a client, um, and it was a. It was a a workshop that I was doing with a board of directors. And uh, one of the people on the board was a person of color. Mm -hmm. And they were literally saying, you're talking to me about whiteness um, and the the ways in which I'm exhibiting whiteness. And then like went on to beseech me that because they were a person of color that I was being ridiculous. That we live in right. a world where we still think that whiteness has something to do with the color of your skin. Yes. And we we don't we don't even we haven't even fully you understand that I can't do anything with this human being if mm-hmm. they think that them being a person of color means that it's impossible for them to exhibit dominant acculturation, a white way of being. That we're not even conscious to the extent because if we don't know we can do that, Dan, we can't do anything about it. That we're so unconscious as people of color sometimes even that we are perpetuating white supremacy from our bodies <clears throat> mm-hmm. because we don't understand that we are now, we have now been indoctrinated and conditioned to perpetuate these same ways of mm-hmm. being. Mm-hmm. And if we're not careful, we won't need white people. 
to exhibit Ooh. white supremacy anymore. Okay, now. You know, <laughs> what does it mean for us? Right. To And, and the best, I'll be the first person to, to say that I can exhibit whiteness because I've been acculturated and indoctrinated and conditioned. I've gone to the academy. I've had university yeah. experiences. Exactly. That's exactly. the pipeline to indoctrination exactly. and to dominant culture. Yes. And if I don't surround myself with people who can check my recklessness, mm-hmm. then I'm going to be reckless and not even know that that's what I'm doing. So unless we are building communities around us mm-hmm. that that we trust and that we invite to tell us when we're not where we need to be, that yeah. we can get back on course in terms of um, practicing a non-dominant cultural way of being, mm-hmm. um, or at least considering our decisions as we practice dominant culture ways of being, yeah. then we'll, we'll perpetuate these things ourselves. Um, our, I relinquished every board seat I had in December of 2018. Yeah, I heard you say something about yeah. that. Yes. Because I realized that I make a good candidate because I look like a person who's going to represent a different narrative or a different story or a different voice. Mm-hmm. But I'm super safe because I know how to code switch and I know how to exhibit dominant culture. I wouldn't be at the table in a boardroom if I wasn't capable of that. And so here I'm sitting in a seat that a person who is... I would say more legitimately from the neighborhood communities we say we serve, right? Mm -hmm. That they should have that seat and that it is our gift and our pleasure to have them present because they represent a lens I will never have again. I already went to college. I'm not, you can't undo what happened to me, how I was conditioned to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's there now. Right. So we miss out when we don't pull people into our space that does that that have not been indoctrinated in the same ways. And this thing now because of um desegregation of schools yeah. and we didn't have a good game plan for how we were going to go about that at all um has now mixed the pot in such a way that we don't know when we're experiencing a person who chooses white supremacy. Mm. Ooh. You know. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> yes. So I just I just want us to move away from these binary ways of thinking about Very things. Very true. Yes. Yes. You know that you're either this or you're that. Yeah. Um and then if you're this with me, then we have to distance ourselves from the that's over there. Yeah. yeah. Because even if it's a liberal progressive stance that we're talking about when we do that, yeah. we're still creating distance, we're still losing proximity, we're still othering, we're still marginalizing, and those are the conditions that create these factions that we have. And it's hard for me too. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm not looking for our current national leader to walk through the front door, live cafe. Like I wouldn't look forward to that. Um, and if it happened, I know there's a part of me that knows we have to be intersectional. We lift up the words of Dr. King all the time. And this is not me like syrupy, sweet, peacekeeping, nonviolence, because <laughs> I'm not about that life, you know. But I think we have to hold more than one thing at a time. That's a good. Yes. Yes. You know. That's a good word. Um, And our sound bites and our, you know, what we got now, 280 characters. It doesn't make it easy to hold more than one thing. <laughs> right. You know. Right. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a whole thing on looking at social media and, you know, in the contributions. of Because, I mean, obviously, social media is, I mean, it's how, you know, I get my voice out, how you mm-hmm, get your voice mm-hmm, out. It's how mm-hmm. both of us are working on podcasts. That's and right. so it's like we're going to have to lean on social media. Sure. But then you do have, right, those corners and spaces that it becomes an echo chamber. Like you said, here we are, you know, Wednesday and, you know, Gilroy. Oh, that happened last week. Yeah. What What about this week? You know, yeah. Yeah. playoffs are going to be starting soon for baseball and all that. And so, yeah. you know, we're, 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 we're moving on. But we say we care about these lives that were lost. Right. And uh, it's been three days. It's been three days. Yes. So last question, and this, again, moving forward, as you think about all this, and particularly as a black woman, as a mom, yeah. <laughs> what, and I'm going to ask you a future, futurist question, then what does, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you uh, look at 2029, 20, 10 years, decade, next census? Yeah. What, uh, where are we at? Man, as, as a mom, I, I feel so many things because I, I, I feel like as a middle, middle class person, my kids have privilege and entitlement and protections and safeties. You know, um, I have a staff and half of them are on public transportation mm. regularly. And I'm mindful about even how I schedule them because mm. I'm thoughtful about the fact that my child who works also at the cafe drives a car to work and back every day. Right. Okay. Yes. And so it's yes. like, that tension that I hold. And that's exactly what I mean when I say, you know, like we're often calling out the ways that privilege operates as if we don't also operate in that privilege. And I'm Mm -hmm. saying let's call it out and let's also be intrinsic about how we also call it out, how we hold that tension as well. Yeah. Um, Because my, my kids Unless I expose them with intention, like, you know, I said earlier, um, particularly white women like to say, how can I help? But what they leave off is in ways that don't require me to sacrifice anything that I really deeply love. <laughs> right. Go, right. And so but the litmus test for me to be able to call that out in them mm-hmm. is that I have to make sure I'm also checking myself okay you know all right yeah and so when it's time to choose schools for my nine-year-old and we just moved back into the city so am i gonna take that i mean she 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 has the score she could go to a private school and probably go on scholarship and they'd be happy to have a little black face there right but the thing uh, is uh, 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 you're right is that what i espouse to Okay. You're you know? right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I want us to continue to hold the white white right wing accountable. I also know that Gen Xers are a real we're one of the most potent generations of black folk, brown folk mm-hmm. this country has seen. And now we have resources. What are we doing with what we have? What sacrifices are we making to stay true to the cause? I live in a community where um, I was trying to check out schools and a friend of mine said she got 10 families, all black families together. And they were going to all agree to send their kids to the public school together. Okay. And that that would create momentum and all these things. Well, eight of the families took the test to, uh, 
for um, selective enrollment, all their kids tested in because of the work that they do as families, right? Yeah. They work with their kids. So, of course, they got in. Mm-hmm. Eight of the 10 families bailed when their kids were able to get into the schools that... Well, then what does that mean for the neighborhood public school, right? So we have to be careful not to drink the Kool-Aid that's causing Mm. some of these systems to continue to perpetuate harm in our own communities as well. Um, And so when you say, you know, as a mom, I can, you know, again, like everybody else, I can idealize and theorize and I know all the right things to do and say, Mm -hmm. but unless I'm living those things out, with my children. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, all of that. The other thing is, when I look at the Dayton shooting particularly. Okay. You know, and you talk about 10 years from now. Yeah. Mahalia could have been in that place 10 right. years from now. Right. Olivia could. All the people who were there who mm-hmm. lost their lives, they were just out on a Saturday night having a good time. Right. right. You right. know, um, and if I'm honest, that makes me afraid for my children 10 years from now. Yeah. Um, and, and, and what is faith for? So either I'm going to be faith filled, either I'm going to be faith oriented or I'm mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, Dan, we preach about this tchotchke faith where we have this faith and it's like, oh, look at that. That's so nice. I'm going to put it up on the shelf. I don't want nobody to touch it. It's delicate. It might break. But what is it for? And I don't believe that's what Christ ever intended our faith to be about. Right. That it was, you know, no, not a lot of people know about this. I wrote about it in Soul Force. But I, I hate flying. <laughs> and, and and you you wouldn't know because I fly all the right, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm scared to death. All right, I to guess. fly. But what is? I know what I'm called to do and be. Okay. What is faith for? If it's not to go anyway. Mm. If it's not to go anyhow. I like that. And every yeah. time we get to come back, every time we get to um experience the fear and walk through it and come out on the other side, then we get to find out what our faith really is for. And if we're not using that, our faith, if we're not mobilizing it in that way, Mm -hmm. then I'm just challenging the right, white, right, conservative evangelicals who love to talk about faith. If they're not exercising it in that way, Mm -hmm. for the ones, like you say, who say, well, I have to have my guns because I'm afraid they're trying to take my power. What is your faith for? This is your moment to walk through it without needing to cover yourself in that way. Right. Because you love God more than anybody, according to you. What is God for if not for the moment when you're afraid of what's going to happen to you? Mm, wow. That's some powerful stuff right there. That's church. Yeah. That's church. So I have to put my kids out there like everybody else is putting their kids out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to, I I literally have to have faith that however they return to me is how God intended them to return. Mm. We're going to do all the things Mm. we supposed to do to keep them safe and let them know they're loved and all of that. Right. And trust that the trajectory of their life Mm -hmm. is essentially and ultimately in the hands of God. That's deep. Yeah. That's deep. Because I do, I struggle with that, you know, thinking about, and we hear this all the time, right? I mean, kids today, I mean, I, uh, 
I, I, yes, I had an eclectic childhood. Sure. I've, I've told that many times on, on this show and, 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 you know, some of my past. Um, but I think what's interesting is this, this generation, especially, you know, my daughter born 06. I forget. Olivia was born in 10, 2010. 2010. Yeah. So they're growing up in an era that's already had social networking established. Uh, they don't remember a time prior to, you know, when my daughter asked me one day, how did you live without Wi-Fi? Like, just disgusting. <laughs> and she meant it, too. And she, oh, she was came from the gut. How did you live without Wi-Fi? <laughs> like, well. <laughs> yeah, we managed to pull right. it off. We, we, we went outside. <laughs> right. We did things. Yeah. Um, there were events. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, wow. and I'm like, okay, I don't want to show my age, but at the same time, I'm just like, okay, I realize in the world that she's growing up in, and as a young lady, soon to be young woman, soon to be woman, um, all the madness she was telling me the other day about, you know, some of her friends uh, getting sent, you know, their private parts from guys, right? Mm-hmm, it's like that type mm-hmm, of stuff that's mm-hmm. coming out now. Yeah. And and it's not like it's just the guys either because she was telling me also, but she's, yeah, my friends are, you know, like, you know, they're sending. They're sending stuff. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa. I remember I got in trouble for and true confessions in sixth grade trying to sneak over to look at the away basketball girls changing clothes. Yeah. We didn't even see anything. Nope. But I got in trouble. Yeah. For that. For we trying. Got, for trying. Yes. Yes. <laughs> for trying. Yes. yes. Oh my gosh. I mean, and and on another note, like not even like yeah, because private parts that scares me. But like, Livy, she's watching these videos, and I forgot what they call this. I used to know, but these videos where people are like eating food slowly, oh. and ASMR. Yes. Yes. And 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 then she talks about how soothing it is. Or there's another word she uses. It's satisfying. That's so satisfying. satisfying. Yes. And yes. I'm just like, yes. how many different ways do we need to create comfort for ourselves? Now it's through sounds and textures yes. and all all online. And um, I, I'm not sure what the impact of that is. And I'm not I'm not. How can I know? Right. You know what that right. what that is going to um lead to in her mind. Yeah, I think we want to have satisfying lives and we want to have good experiences and all of that. But I mean, I'm I'm real curious about mm-hmm. how the constant feeding of satiation. At the same time, if I had to grow up as a single digit child with social media around me, I might feel like I needed a constant feed of satiation. Right. So I'm just like, I don't really know which way to go with this thing. Right. I, right. I am legitimately happy that I am not a child right. in e- this era. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, oh. And how does it all feed? Because you know it does, whether we know how or why or what. How is it feeding these catastrophes you know yes we know it is yes you know we we know that they they always post things before they go do the thing mm-hmm. but what was happening before the post and how was social media informing? absolutely and i'm not one to demonize social media because i look at it the same way you look at guns like well i mean you know what if we did something about the systems that we we don't need to demonize 
or weaponize these things. Mm-hmm. We need to deal with the systems that that create these catastrophes. And at the same time, these tools, guns, social right. media, they are playing a role. Right. So can we hold more than one thing at a time? And that is so true. I mean, and to your point, I mean, I remember the O.J. Simpson trial. This was 90. Well, it started in 93. It was in 94 and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But KCAL 9 News in Los Angeles was the only uh, uh, news station at the time that had a working helicopter that the station owned. Mm-hmm. Okay. KTLA did. KTLA Channel 5, which is, you know, renowned in Los Angeles and everything. Mm-hmm. But KCAL 9 News had the helicopter that watched and filmed OJ, right, and his yeah, boy, fleeing. right, yeah. fleeing in this slow speed chase over mm-hmm. on the 405 freeway. Mm-hmm. They have essentially stayed alive in this news media because the copyrights that they own and so many people who have used those clips because they were the oh, only news wow. broadcast. But what that did at that time was create a broader sense of this what I like to call this immediate and in real time as we take in news, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Sensationalized views of, you know, people getting shot, people getting run over, people, right? And so it created this sense to the point that by the time you get to 1998, 1999, it's just common day that at least once a week, you're going to see some car chase on television. Most of them don't just end peacefully, but every now and then. Yeah. You get somebody, right? Yeah. You get somebody who's just acting a fool. Yep. Yep. And I I think about that analogy compared to what you were just talking about and mm-hmm. just the 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 amount of I asked one of my my students, uh, this is just two years ago, I was just like, you know, how are you affected by the violence, you know, that you see now? He's like, Well, he said, I see it both physically, living on the west side of Chicago, and I also see it online. He said, and quite honestly, it it just doesn't phase me anymore. This is what I'm saying. Back to CNN Wednesday saying this newsreel is done because y'all not interested no more. And we got ratings to think about. So we got to move on, right? I was driving down Lake Street in Chicago yesterday and I watched a man stop in the middle of a, the street on the yeah. sidewalk and do a line of cocaine in the street. Wow. And I was like, I'm 44 and that is the first time I have ever seen anything like that happened. Yeah, not out like that. With my own eyeballs. Right. Wow. But what is that telling me when I mean it was five o'clock, broad daylight, Lake Street, heavily trafficked, Lake Street West Side, police right. police right. present. Right. This now happens like how smoking cigarettes happened when I was a kid. And so again, it goes back that you talk about as a mom, what what concerns me is what is becoming normalized yes. for our kids. Yes. Um, what doesn't hold any weight with our kids anymore to see on television, on social media, coming up and down the street. I mean, I was driving, I was I'm forty four, I was driving, I saw it, it threw me for a loop. But a kid, I mean, it was literally right by a playground. So now, there used to be a time when in the 80s, you know, drugs were everywhere. Right. And as kids, we didn't see them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because it it, it was something about the culture of the of the day. True. Where drugs were everywhere and we didn't see them. 
And now in 2019, cocaine is not even the drug of choice. And there it was right on the street. Right. It's what we're normalizing that concerns me about the mass shootings, about white supremacy, about nationalism, about drugs, about sex, about all these things, about the amount of time we just take consuming information. Yes. Is normalized. That's all yes. normative behavior now. And what the impact of that will be on every um, form of society and every form of being, that is what concerns me. Whew. Man, well, on that note. Yes. <laughs> we have gone long. No, it, it, we have, but there was so much to cover. And yes, I think we covered some good ground here. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. I really oh, do appreciate my it. Pleasure. I my really pleasure. do appreciate it. Good it. to be here. Where can folks find you? I have to always put that oh, out. If yes. I can help promote anything that you're doing, Absolutely. of course. On uh, Instagram, I am at. R-E-E-S-H-E-D-A-N-G-W at Rashida N-G-W. And uh, let me see, on Twitter, same, at Rashida N-G-W. And on Facebook, I am Rashida Graham Washington. And I would love to have you follow me and I will follow you. I think we have to follow each other. I think so. I think so. That's the that's the motto now. Follow, to follow back. Follow each other. That's follow right. back. That's right. Um, and then you have a podcast, correct? Or is I that not do. out the bag yet? No, no. I'm fine to let it out the bag. Okay. It's called Sold Out. Yes. An intergenerational podcast that I uh, co-host with Mickey L. Grace. She is an amazing millennial with insight beyond her years. I learned so much from Mickey. Um, and we talk a lot about what it means to be sold out. And I hope that you will um, find our podcast. Dan is our super producer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah. That's what's up. When, and for anyone listening, as always, I'll put these in the show notes. And I know when this podcast gets ready, we'll obviously promote it uh, here as well. Um, for those of y'all listening, check stuff out, whitehodgepodcast.com. We'll connect you with whitehodge.com as well. Um, and follow, I would I recommend, particularly if you're white listening to this, follow somebody of color, particularly a woman of color who who is is speaking about stuff that is making you feel a little uncomfortable. Yeah, can I name a few? Please. Besides myself, um, I think Rachel Cargill is an amazing person to follow on Instagram. And uh, Mina B is another person who I would definitely follow in a heartbeat. Um, Black Girls R is another good one. Um, and Fule is amazing over there. Black Girls R. Those are three places off mm. the top of my head mm. for y'all folk who say, y'all don't know where to find nobody. That's three somebodies right there. There you go. There you <laughs> go. And if you're not already following someone like um, Rashida, I highly recommend it because uh, there is a lot. There's a lot that's got going on with Live Cafe and just the work that she's doing um, as well. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. When you send me the message that my life is of no value, then how can your property... How can your society, how can your civilization, how can any of the moors or the rules or any of the monuments, how can any of that be of any value to me when all it has on the door for me is a rejection notice? I'm not allowed to look, I'm not allowed to touch, I'm not allowed to partake, I'm not allowed to participate. 
All my life, I was rejected before I was born. I am the most rejected. Nothing is open to me. And every time I knock on a door and get rejected, it takes a little something out of me. So how does it mean anything to me that I should try to salvage it, or I should respect it, or I should try to preserve it? It stands as a barrier before me. It was there when I was born, it will be there when I die.